When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you miss Canty and Carlin? Competitive balance. That is the issue that Nick Saban is taking up with conference realignment in college football and also name, image, and likeness. He set all of this down at SEC Media Days, and we're going to bring it to you here on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin and Matt Jones sitting in for the guys on this Tuesday afternoon. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Courtney R. Cronin at KY Sports Radio. You can also hit us up on the CC call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888 Seven, six. So Nick Saban, Matt, was talking about NIL collectives, and he seemed to be saying that they aren't going to be good for the money and that nobody's going to want to necessarily go to certain schools. I'm not sure exactly who he was referring to there. It doesn't seem that much is transparent uh, when it comes to boosters moving around money, throwing around money, however you want to call it, to get high school football players, high school football recruits uh, to play football for for their schools. But this whole thing is interesting. Nick Saban, we remember a couple months ago when he was saying that Texas A&M bought its entire recruiting class, also threw a little jab at Jackson State, allegedly claim, you know, claiming that they allegedly paid a player uh, $1 million to go there. And here's what he had to say when he was asked how he felt how he feels currently about NIL. I don't dislike name, image, and likeness. I'm all for the players. I want players to do well. Uh, Our players did extremely well last year. They made over $3 million in name, image, and likeness. So uh, I'm all all for the players, you know, being able to um, do as well as they can and use their name, image, and likeness to create value. The biggest concern is, you know, how does this impact and affect recruiting uh, because on the recruiting trail right now there's a lot of people using this as um, inducements to go to their school by making promises as to whether they may or may not be able to keep uh, in terms of um, you know what players are doing and I I think that um, you know that is what can create um, a competitive balance issue uh, between the haves and the have-nots. Newsflash. This has already existed long before NIL became legal. This was happening in recruiting between the haves and the have-nots. And Nick Saban did say when he was asked about the super conferences and the SEC enveloping Texas and Oklahoma and the Big Ten getting USC and UCLA that, you know, that's going to benefit the haves versus the have-nots. Alabama falls into that haves category. He knows it just as well as anybody else. But why am I the only one who cringes at some of these answers from SEC coaches that we've heard the last couple of days from Lane Kiffin to, to Nick Saban about NIL? Because maybe it's being phrased this way and maybe it's being portrayed in a way that it's not a positive thing. But it comes across as like, 
either like we're placating to the coaches and be like, man, you've got to deal with this NIL thing, like how hard your job becomes now where student athletes can, you know, garner a little bit more control over their recruitment and go where they can earn the most money via, you know, their name, image and likeness. Like, why do I feel like it's being perceived and portrayed as a bad thing by these coaches? Because it is because these coaches are whiny and college coaches are the last job on earth where they think they should be able to be a dictator and do whatever they want. You know what? Alabama's players made $3 million. Good for them. Guess how much Nick Saban makes? 11 So you're telling me he deserves $8 million more than his entire team does combined? I don't feel sorry for Nick Saban at all. Here, I'll translate it for you. Under the rules that existed pre-NIL, what was the best program, Courtney? Alabama. Alabama. And guess what? Who dominated the way it was before? Alabama. Alabama. Who won an insane amount of national championships? Alabama. So here's what Nick Saban doesn't want. He doesn't want something that changed because they were the best at that set of rules. And now he's like, oh, no, there might be a set of rules that I can't dominate. Ooh, we don't want to have that be some sort of level of no parity. There was no parity before. Here's what's going to happen. Texas A&M is the perfect example. Here's why Texas A&M bothers him. He believes correctly that he's a better coach than Jimbo Fisher, that he's built the program better than Jimbo Fisher. Last year, players that would have gone to Alabama decided to go play for Jimbo Fisher because they gave him more money. And Nick Saban doesn't like that. But you know what? Get over it. Tough. Why in every other part of life – People can go where they get the most money. Yet somehow college football coaches believe that the one part of American society that we should carve out and say that money doesn't matter is football. Why? Nick Saban, you, Alabama's got all the money in the world. If they want to give it to them, they can. They just were behind. A&M did it first. Now, do I think there should be some regulation? Sure, probably, but I feel no sympathy for Nick Saban. I feel no sympathy for Lane Kiffin and all these colleges, coaches that make millions and millions of dollars, and they're like, oh, no, my job is going to be harder because they're going to have money. Well, you know what? The college president's job dealing with your ego is pretty hard because you make ten times what they do, and they have to deal with you as is. Nick Saban has never been a whiner, but when it comes to NIL, he whines. Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus, Courtney Cronin, Matt Jones. Um, he said the word competitive balance six times during that news conference at SEC Media Days in Atlanta. The you know, reporters, I guess, only got eight questions in, so maybe he just rambled on and on and on. But, you know, to the point of the tone deafness that comes across from these college coaches who are now, I mean, for lack of a better term, whining, you know, upset about something that they can't control here – it's it, it's like it, it threatens their power. Like that's of what course. I think this that's whole thing is. Is, is centered on. That they don't have the control over their recruiting classes the way that they once did. That recruiting is actually harder now because the program doesn't just sell itself. In a way, it does because you go to a place that wins a lot of games. There's going to be a lot of sponsorship opportunities for you as a prospective student athlete to play there. And potentially even for the team, I mean, we've we've seen this happen throughout college football where there have been group NIL deals, but these booster collectives that he seems to be taking up kind of an issue with and, and the belief that they're destroying the competitive balance in football. And now all of a sudden it feels like without directly calling out the NCAA, 
that Nick Saban and others are trying to get somebody to regulate this in a way that it hasn't been yet, it's too little too late because they could have tried to do this more than a year ago before NIL became legal, and, and now they've got to deal with it as it stands right now because every state's laws are different. They should have done it a decade ago. The Supreme Court... Who, yeah, the O'Bannon if, thing, for sure. If you followed the news, the Supreme Court is pretty split, and they fight. But on this issue, 9-0. Clarence Thomas, as far right as it gets, Sonia Sotomayor, as far left as it gets, they agree on one thing, that you have to allow these players to do it. But the NCAA decided not to for so long that the Supreme Court made them do it. And now, this is your repercussions. This could have been handled a decade ago. It was These rules were stupid from the beginning, I have no sympathy for these coaches. I agree. you got to have some regulation. Lane Kiffin set a salary cap. That's actually interesting to me, tied to revenue maybe. But this idea that somehow it's bad and that, oh, no, these players may get offered money to go to a school, my answer is, hush, do your job, and earn that $10 million that you don't deserve to begin with. He won't be the last to make comments like this on NIL. SEC Media Days continues on down at the College Football Hall of Fame this week. A lot of buzzworthy words that have been used and and a lot of that's come out from that, from college football and the realignment that has now been the big story for the last two and a half, three weeks to NIL to, hey, there's actually a season to be played in about a month. So lots going on down there. We'll continue to get into that here in Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio. But coming up next, why does the Live Tour now think that they can land Cam Smith, who just won the Open? That's next, Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Did you miss Canty and Carlin? Live golf be poaching another PGA star? That's the question we have to ask ourselves after Cam Smith the Australian golfer who just won the the Open this past weekend at St. Andrews. Now we have to wonder, will he take his talents to another tour that could pay him even more than he just earned with the big purse over in Scotland? And whether those rumors are come to fruition or not, they are there because it is the logical expectation given how many golfers have defected from the PGA Tour and gone over to live golf. This is Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Courtney Cronin, Matt Jones holding it down for the guys on this Tuesday afternoon. So 
I know that Cam Smith did not like this question, and I can understand why. He just won the U.S. Open. He crushed the field. Rory absolutely choked yet again, and Cam Smith cruises to his championship uh, at the old course. No, wait, Rory didn't choke. He did not choke. Rory choked down the stretch 100%. He did not choke. He didn't didn't even make a bogey in the last – he he was not able to make putts, but he did not choke. We have a long history of golf chokers. Rory was not a choker. Cam shot 64. Cam obliterated the field, which was part of the reason I think he was so upset. He reacted pretty angrily when he was asked if he's on the verge of joining Live Golf, the, the invitational series that was started by another Australian and Greg Norman and of course there's those comparisons that people are willing to make and maybe like looking into you know what the ties could potentially be all these things but he got pretty upset he said I just won the British Open and you're asking about that that is not that good my team around me worries about that stuff I'm here to win golf tournaments I understand why he's upset but it feels like a lot of these golfers have gotten really sensitive when they've been asked about live golf, whether they're planning to leave the PGA Tour. Like, it's a logical question considering the circumstances of the last six, seven weeks in golf, Matt. Well, first of all, he's also lying when he says he's here to win golf tournaments because when he joins the Live Tour, which he will, when he does, it's going to be for money because the Live Tour tournaments are completely irrelevant. I don't know where to watch them. I think they're on YouTube, but even on YouTube, like at most 35,000 people around the world are watching them. Nobody cares. And here's a little question for all of you listening. Who won the first two Live Tour tournaments? Nobody knows. And nobody cares. Because nobody was able to watch it because it was on YouTube. But they're also irrelevant because they don't have any history to them. They're 54 holes. It's a circus. Now, it might be an entertaining circus. I don't know. But the guys that joined that, they joined it for money. That's why Phil joined it. That's why Dustin Johnson joined it. These dudes like Cam Smith saying they're doing it for wins, that's not true. With that said, it's a perfectly reasonable question because right now the Live Tour has a lot of old dudes who used to be good that aren't good now. They've got a couple of guys that matter. Dustin Johnson matters. Brooks Kepka matters. Abraham Answer matters. If they get Cam Smith, he's the number two player in the world. He matters. And so I think it's a perfectly reasonable question. You could make an argument that just from a talent standpoint, Cam Smith is the most important guy they will have gotten because he is in his prime. He won the players. The PGA Tour's signature event, because they don't own the majors, is the players, and he just won it. And for the guy to have won the players and then go to the live tour, that's a blow to the PGA Tour. So I think it's a completely reasonable question. And the funny thing is, he didn't exactly say, no, absolutely not, don't ever ask me this question again, I am committed to staying with the PGA Tour. And maybe he was just so caught up and and caught off guard that he he got that that question, but he didn't shoot that down. All he said is that, I don't know, my team around me worries about that stuff, I'm here to win golf tournaments, so if and when he does join, he can go back and say, hey, at least I wasn't Brooks Kepka who said that he was not joining the Live Golf, Tur- uh, Live golf Invitational Series, and then, what was it, 72 hours later, has gone to Live Golf? Like, there's, there's a lot here, and I don't know if people are trying to hold golfers to their word or hold their feet to the fire on this and expect that people are going to stay in the PGA Tour based out of loyalty and loyalty alone. But this, like you said, would be a huge get for Live Golf. Arguably the biggest get that they will will have been able to, to pull off because 
with the Saudi Arabia backed organization, like the big the big name was Phil Mickelson. That kicked everything off and he earned a reported two hundred million dollars to go to live golf and then create the domino effect of other golfers going over there. What do you think the price would be to get Cam Smith over there when, when well, like Matt last. had just mentioned, he's the number but he's the number two golfer in the world. Well, the numbers does that not does that not pull is, the draw? Nah, it doesn't matter. They, they, I mean, it matters. Like, I mean, he's gonna. It'll be like I think I saw the number floated at like ninety million. It won't be as much as Dustin. It won't be as much as Phil because people don't know who Cam Smith is. But from just a see, right now, people like me who are big golf fans, we can dismiss the Live Tour because we can say they got fifty people, forty four of them stink, and then they've got Dustin Johnson, Kepka, uh, Answer, and you know. Maybe Oosthuizen. That's it. Like everybody else, doesn't matter. But when you add Cam Smith, a good golfer, a young golfer in his prime that just won the British and the Players, it's harder to dismiss that. And I think right now they don't need any more guys that are names. They've kind of got that. Now they need to get good guys because now they need to say, "Look, we've got competitive players playing here that are in the prime of their career." Cam Smith is like that, you made a very good point about loyalty. The PGA Tour wants these people to stay because of loyalty. That's not going to happen. Enough money and a lot of them will go. The second thing is a lot of fans want them to stay stay away because of morality about Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia. That ain't going to happen either because these dudes don't care, the vast majority of them. They don't even know what's going on, to be honest. Money is going to talk. $90 million. Listen. There ain't too many people who will turn $90 million down. I know there's some, but there ain't too many, and we'll see that as the years go on. I still think in the end, though, this money's not going to go on forever. At some point, something's going to have to happen, and still these tournaments are irrelevant and no one cares about it. Which is why Tiger Woods' comments last week – before he teed off at St. Andrews about live golf and, you know, the opportunities that the PGA tour has afforded so many players. I mean, you're speaking for yourself in that respect, but you also don't speak for the masses because Tiger Woods had a hundred plus million dollars of career earnings just from like the PGA tour. Like Dude, he's not made a billion dollars I mean, well, like in he, endorsements and everything yes. else, but just like golf winnings, like not everybody else can, can say that. And I think it's just the reality that and I'm not putting Cam Smith in the mix here because he's the number two ranked golfer in the world. There are a lot of golfers who need live golf because they can't make the cut during tournaments uh, that were that are sponsored by the PGA Tour. They're not playing into the weekend. They're not eligible for the money in the purse that you could earn because they're just not that good uh, at the end of the day. I mean, obviously they're professional golfers, but they're not in the upper echelon of professional golfers like the Cam Smiths of the world and those who are you know contending for championships. But we'll see if he ends up uh, joining. It does feel inevitable at this point that every major golfer who has been who has won a PGA tour event has then gone over to live golf and and we do know that greg norman took to twitter on sunday to congratulate him uh he's the first australian to win the open in 29 years he said you're in good company obviously referring to himself so we shall see if those australian ties are enough to uh lure cam smith over to the Live Golf Invitational Series. Canty and Carlin is presented by Progressive Insurance. As a reminder, tonight is the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, the hot ticket brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is 
is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Coming up next, while the All-Star Game is happening tonight at Dodger Stadium, our next guest will tell you why all eyes should be on next year's game. That's next, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Did you miss Canty and Carlin? Julio Rodriguez did not win the 2022 Major League Baseball Home Run Derby on Monday, but he's still a winner in, in the eyes of many, and so are the Seattle Mariners. They won 14 straight going into the All-Star break. Are we buying the Mariners just yet? This is Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Matt Jones sitting in for the guys. Why don't we ask that question to our next guest, Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst, but also Seattle Mariners number one super fan. Mina, how happy are you that the Mariners have this 14-game win streak and the whole world got to see Julio Rodriguez, who's probably going to win AL Rookie of the Year last night? Like, Is it okay to go all in and expect this whole thing not to fall apart just yet? Ooh, um, you know, as a Mariners fan, after you've been through like two decades of disappointment, it's really hard to feel unadulterated hope, right? So in my head, I look at the underlying metrics. I see that they're strong. I see that the remaining schedule is pretty easy compared to the other contenders. And I see how talented this roster is and how good the pitching staff has been. And I think they should be a playoff team. But, you know, You've been burnt so many times, you never want to go all in and sort of abandon that skepticism that's been built up over the years. Um, That said, I'm enjoying the ride. And it was so fun last night to watch kind of America discover Julio Rodriguez a little bit, you know, being on the West Coast, playing games late. The Mariners don't always get that huge national audience. uh, And I think a lot of people had no idea just how unbelievably, not just talented, but charismatic this kid is. He just plays with, like, I want to say, like a sort of unbridled optimism. And it is, a, I think, a nice counterweight to everything I just described in terms of all the baggage this team comes with. So, you know, I, don't, I would say I'm not comparing him to Griffey as a player, but I don't, feel, I don't think I've ever felt the same way about uh, a Mariner certainly watching them the way I do when I watch Julio Rodriguez, and yeah, it's just a really exciting time to root for this team. Somewhere Ichiro sheds a tear that Mina does not <laughs> put him in the exact same uh, same context. Uh, all right, let's switch to the NFL. Mina, I I continue to be fascinated with 
everything Lamar Jackson, including like, will do you offer him the deal? He's his own agent, et cetera. But then there's also just the player. So it's clear the Ravens can't win without him. So what do you think happens with Lamar as we close in here on training camp? And do you expect him to have a deal before the season starts? How do you expect it to play out in Baltimore? You know, it's really hard to say because he's pushed it this far in the longer he pushes it, as you guys know, um, the more likely he did, he gets into that Kirk Cousins territory, which Courtney, of course, knows how he covered him so closely, where um, if you're willing to take on risk as a quarterback, you're going to get not just a, a big salary in terms of averaging of value, but you're more likely to get more guaranteed money. And um, it, it is something that I, I, is a real possibility for Lamar Jackson. I don't think it's impossible that he does a deal, um, you know, closer to this, this offseason, rather. Um, it's kind of up to him and his own risk tolerance. But for everyone who's kind of questions his approach, as more quarterback contracts have piled in, you know, going from obviously the latest being Watson, Sean Watson getting all that guaranteed money, but others pushing it into that $40 million range, the better it's been for his wallet. Um, and then as far as the Ravens side, you know, job number one is to get a deal done as soon as possible and try to convince him to do one because, um, you know, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and their prospects, that the likelihood that they would, you know, move on from him in any way and get, whether it's a young quarterback or a free agent or whatever, and improve is next to nil. Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst. You can also catch her on NFL Live. Joins the show. So the Raiders are the first team to report training camp right around the corner. Rookies are, I believe, going in today. What do you think we should expect this season from Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, but also with Josh McDaniel coming in and installing a new offense? Well, I I think the offense is going to be – extremely explosive um you know obviously you had the best wide receiver in football and you know there's it, you're only going to improve but i think it's also worth noting that while you know Derek Carr's not as good a quarterback as aaron Rodgers, Devonte adams has never played alongside other skill players receivers and, and darren waller uh like he will be in las vegas and just the pool that that will have on defenses who have of course doubled him and bracketed him for so long is going to create opportunities for a player who's already uncoverable and frankly opportunities for the rest of the offense as well i mean i don't know if you guys remember the first game of last season when Derek carr just kept going back to waller over and over and over uh, and defensive you know eventually keep it on that you just there's too many good players on this offense defend it's it's a math problem really to me the only limiting factor is the offensive line um still a lot of uncertainty on the right side it looks like alex weatherwood who they drafted to play right tackle and then struggled the position will end up playing right tackle and i think that would be sort of the achilles heel of this offense but i i'm very curious to see whether Carr sort of steps out from that 10 to 15 range into the 5 to 10 range and then i'm also curious to your other question to see what josh mcdaniels does you know when he uh, agreed to be the head coach of the Raiders and you bring Jakob Johnson as a fullback from Vegas and you've got these tight ends and Waller and, and Moreau who are very good. You kind of expect the offense to look like New England West or Southwest. Um, and then, of course, you get behind a referee. He's like a, a very, one of the best slot receivers in the NFL and McDaniels is such a track record with slot receivers. But then you go out and get Adams and that really makes it a bit of an, a mystery to me because, you know, 
Josh McDaniels didn't work with many wide receivers like Adams in New England. And I think I'm very curious to see how they feature him and just how pass heavy this offense is relative to some of the ones he had with the Patriots. Mina, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time as always. Thanks guys. Las Vegas Raiders opened the season uh, September 11th against the Los Angeles Chargers, so an AFC West battle. It's crazy. We were talking about the Raiders yesterday on ESPN Radio when we were doing our two-a-days and the SWAT analysis for the Raiders. Like they might be, might be the best worst place team. If that makes sense, did I say that correctly? Like the best fourth place team, we'll call them that, in in any division in the NFL because of how strong the AFC West is this year. And we're going to get to see it right off the bat. Pass rushers against pass rushers, uh, even though they're on the other sides of the ball. It's like every team in the AFC West seems to believe that in order to get after the quarterback, you have to sign good defensive end talent to do that. Both the Chargers did, both the Raiders did this offseason as well. Kenny and Carlin is presented by Progressive insurance coming up next earlier i said the biggest threat to the cowboys is the eagles so what's the biggest threat to philadelphia that's next espn radio sirius xm channel 80 this is espn radio's nfl two-a-days the philadelphia eagles everyone's focused on jalen hurts and rightfully so it's a quarterback driven league this is a great situation for jalen to take the reins to grow to develop and get this team back to the playoffs the eagles had some fun today acquiring aj brown they need a veteran presence at wide receiver they need somebody who can line up all over the line of scrimmage this roster around him is good enough in enough places that jalen hurts doesn't have to be a top five quarterback for the eagles to win a lot of games next year. Kenny and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus, our two-a-day series rolls on with the Philadelphia Eagles. We did the Dallas Cowboys earlier in the show. Courtney Cronin, Matt Jones sitting in for the guys. And we'll tap in now with Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, an Eagles preseason TV analyst here to break down a little bit of what's going on in Philadelphia. And Ross, my prediction, because we go through the SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. When we were doing the Cowboys, I went through my case of making making my case that the Philadelphia Eagles are the biggest threat to the Dallas Cowboys for the NFC title this year. Who's the biggest threat to the Eagles in terms of success this year? Well, first of all, I agree with you. Thank you for having me on. And I love the SWAT analysis. That's very uh, business-like of you. Is that Matt, with all the businesses he owns, was that his idea? Matt actually didn't know how to pronounce it correctly. First of all, it's S-W-O-T. That is not SWAT anywhere except ESPN. That's SWOT. But nevertheless, (laughs) I will let you go ahead. No, but you know what? Um, I think you're right about the Cowboys. And for the Eagles, their biggest threat to success, if you're talking teams in the NFC East, is obviously the Cowboys. But specifically to their team, Boy, they got a really good roster now. It's so interesting because a year ago, the owner came out after they moved on from Doug Peterson, their only Super Bowl winning head coach ever, and said it was going to be a transition year. And then all of a sudden, they're 9-7. and seven. They make the playoffs. They lost the last game of the Cowboys where they didn't play any of their guys. And I think everybody kind of feels like they're ahead of where we thought they would be. And so I think... They went out this year and said, let's, let's go in for this thing. Because, number one, they want to see exactly what they have in Hurts in year three and year two as a full-time starter. And also, they still have Hurts 
on a very cheap rookie second-round pick contract. So that's why they got A.J. Brown and James Bradbury and did what they did in the draft. And so now you look at them and you think, well, Hurts isn't going to be worse, and we would expect him to be better, and they are better at a lot of spots around them. It's hard to not picture them winning, you know, 10, 11 games. And when you look at the complexion of the NFC, I don't want to get ahead of you guys or ahead of ourselves, but it's not like the NFC is the AFC. I mean, you look and it's like, okay, the Packers probably won't be as good without Devontae Adams, the Rams, and the Bucks will, of course, be in the mix. But th- there is some scenario, there's some percentage chance where the Eagles actually are good enough that they go on a long playoff run. So in your third year, that's when you really, if you're going to be a great quarterback in the league, that's where you see it. And this is his. This is Jalen Hurts' third year. But more to the point for me is you mentioned he's on a cheap deal. And when you're on a cheap deal, you can go get the A.J. Browns of the world. But that won't continue. They're going to have to make a decision of if he's the guy to give real money to. And I think that decision probably has to be made at the end of this year. Do you think Jalen Hurts is at the level of quarterback that when the time comes to decide to pay him or not, the answer will be yes or do you think he's kind of in that group that, yeah, he's good, but you can't win a big a lot with him, so we can't go forward? I actually think there's another option, Matt, and another way of looking at it. Because, okay. you know, I'm from Philly. Even though I never played for the Eagles, I'm from Philly. All my buddies are diehard Eagles fans, so they're always texting me. And they're always like, what does Jalen need to do to, get to, to, to be the long-term guy, Ross? You know, how many touchdown passes or how many games they have to win? And and I really think, like a lot of things in life, it's really just based on what the Eagles' other alternatives are. You know, I just told you guys I'd be surprised if they don't win double-digit games. And then they get to the playoffs, and, you know, maybe they win a playoff game or two. Maybe they don't. But then, okay, you get to the draft. Everybody's like, oh, well, then they'll they'll definitely draft somebody. Are are you sure about that? Yeah, they have two first-round picks, but there's like five teams that have two first-round picks, all of whom – could be wanting a quarterback high in that draft. And quite frankly, the likelihood is those teams will have more of a need to move up or do what it takes to get a quarterback, right? Like the Atlanta Falcons are going to be terrible, okay? They're going to probably have the number one, number two pick. They're taking a quarterback. Some of these other teams are probably going to take a quarterback. So I look at it like, is Jalen Hurts better than whatever the Eagles' other alternative is? You know, I mean, they were interested. But they still will have to pay him, Ross. I mean, eventually they got – because it's about the money, not just how good he is. Like, I mean, is he going to be worth the money that they'll have to pay? I don't think that they need to decide that until after April. And then I think what they would like to probably do would be thread the needle and try to give him a contract where he's happy with it. You know, the problem is, Matt, it's like – you either get over $40 million a year or you get like $5 million. A year. Yeah, there are so few guys that are in that in-between zone. I'm sure they hope he's in the $40 million plus, you know, a year crew, but he's going to have to play very well. He's going to have to play, I would say, a decent amount better than he did last year for them to be willing to do that this offseason. 
Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast and Eagles preseason TV analyst, joins Courtney Cronin and Matt Jones here on Canty and Carlin. Got about a minute left. Uh, Ross, when we take a look at this defense, I have no concerns about the defensive line. They know how to get after the quarterback. But when I look at the cornerback group, the linebacking core, and then the safety group, it seems like there's some holes there. To, to you, of those three groups, which is the biggest weakness for the Philadelphia Eagles defense? Yeah, I think it's clearly safety because with Kenton James Bradbury, you feel pretty good about Darius Slay and Avante Maddox and Bradbury at corner. At linebacker, Kaiser White led the Chargers in tackles. They got N'Kobe Dean in the third round. You know, there's obviously a lot of speculation about his health. We'll see how that goes. I think they're fine at linebacker. Safety's the one that I think could hurt them in some games. You know, they have Anthony Harris. They have Jaquaski Tart. But that's not a position where you would feel like they're above average. And maybe you could argue they're not even average there. So that's the one position that you'd be concerned about that could really hurt them and make a difference in some big games. Ross, great stuff as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you guys for having me. That's Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can also hear him on Eagles preseason TV games. He's an analyst working in the booth uh, for the preseason in Philadelphia. Coming up next, does Kevin Durant really want out of Brooklyn? Or is he just trying to force the Nets' hand in order for them to get rid of Kyrie Irving? Put that through your brain and try to make that make sense. That's coming up next on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.